me to 2 Corinthians chapter number 8. If you can, this morning, let's stand out of respect for the Word of God. 2 Corinthians chapter number 8. And there is um, an outline in your bulletin, if you haven't found that yet, and uh, you can follow along. There's a lot of uh, scripture this morning, and I, I'd like for you to stay engaged this morning. This is a tremendous passage, and uh, as you think about it, of course, uh, God so loved the world. And when I think about God's love, God loves everyone. And I think this morning that what God would have us to get a hold of is this, that you and I, because he has loved us and God has proved his love toward us, that we need to prove our love for him, the sincerity of our love. You know, there's a lot of people that say they love. But you remember what Jesus asked Peter? He says, Peter, do you love me? He asked him a second time, Peter, do you love me? And then he asked him a third time. Remember Peter's response? He was almost like, Lord, you know, you know that I love you. And Jesus, if I could paraphrase, said, prove it. Prove it. Look what the Bible says here in chapter 8 and verse number 1. Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, how that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded under the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. And so much that we desired Titus, that as he had begun, so he would also finish in you the same grace also. Therefore, as ye abound in everything, in faith, and utterance, and knowledge, and in all diligence, and in your love to us, see that ye abound in this grace also. I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others, and to prove the sincerity of your love. To prove the sincerity of of your love. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the Word of God and for so many tremendous principles here in these verses. And I pray that you'd speak to hearts today. God, help us not to just be people that say words, but that we would actually prove, show that we love you by our actions. Lord, we love you for loving us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated this morning. Thank you for standing for the reading of God's Word. As we look at this chapter and really this entire book of the Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter number 8, certainly we find the Apostle Paul is writing to believers in the city of Corinth. If you look in verse 1 again, he says, Moreover, 
brethren. He's talking to saved people, to believers in Christ, and he's asking them in this chapter. Now, you have to understand, and I always take this opportunity to preface that this is God's word and not Paul's word. That this is the Bible, that even though Paul might have been recording the words, they were God's words that he recorded, and Paul is reminding those believers to make up an offering, and this offering would be used to send to a cause, but this cause was something that was outside the confines of the local church. Certainly, we talked about in Sunday school this morning that the Bible talks about the tithe is the Lord's, and God has instituted in the Old Testament that 10% of our income, the first fruits of everything that that comes into us, that 10% belongs to God, and that is what God uses to make sure that the work of the ministry would continue in the local church. But here in chapter number 8 of 2 Corinthians, Paul's writing, as God is instructing him, that there is a cause, there is a need that is outside the confines of the local church. The churches of Macedonia, as it mentions here in chapter 1, or excuse me, verse 1, they were people, believers, that were faithful. And one of the areas that they had remained faithful over the years was that they were giving to causes outside of their church. One of those causes was they had been faithful to support the man of God known as the Apostle Paul. Uh, Certainly Paul, because he gave his time and he expended himself for the ministry, Paul wasn't able to work a full-time job. Certainly you can find in the scriptures that Paul helped as a tent maker. He wasn't a lazy man. He was willing to work with his hands, but again, to be effective in the ministry, Paul needed some support, and the churches in Macedonia were good and faithful about helping him. Now, he mentions to the church in Corinth, and stay with me, he says, I want you to understand that God wants you to be a part of this same grace. He's talking about giving. He says that you would be a part of this, and clearly he mentions this. Now, the word grace is a word talking about an offering. In other words, giving is a grace from God. Uh, It's a privilege for us. Listen, it's, it's not something that I dread when it comes time to give to the Lord. It's a blessing. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. And so we find that giving is a grace from God. Giving is a beautiful word. In any language, the word giving and grace go hand in hand. John 1.16, the Bible says, Of his fullness have all received and grace for grace. God has given us his grace. We find when we study the scriptures What does the Bible say? It says, for by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. So clearly, even in the area of salvation, we understand that we are saved by grace. We are kept by the grace of God. We walk by grace, and one day when our time comes, I believe that God will give us the grace to face death's door, and God will enable us during that time. Now, a lot of people, they rejoice in the various graces that God gives to us. 
But the one area that I see a lot of people not rejoicing in is this area of giving. And again, it goes back to a giving grace. A good model for that is what Paul is writing to those Christians, those brothers in Christ, how that they need to be a part of this. And the churches in Macedonia, they're a great model for us to follow where we too can understand that they proved the sincerity of their love toward God in their giving. Now, that's what God would have us to do this morning, is to use the churches in Macedonia as an example. And by the way, we all need examples in our lives, and I choose to have good, godly examples instead of worldly examples that are not going to edify, build up, and make us better Christians. So this, with that in line this morning, I want you to see some ways, some areas of giving that the churches in Macedonia did. Notice, first of all, that I see the participants. Now look back in our passage in verse number two. The Bible says how then a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy. Now look at the words now. The abundance of their joy and the deep poverty abounded under the riches of their liberality. Now do you see the words there that contrast as I looked at that verse where the Bible mentions in a deep trial of affliction that they still had joy. Do you see that in the Bible? Look at it again. In a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy, not just little joy, but the abundance of their joy. And then look what it says in the last part of the verse. Their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. In, in other words, when they pulled their pockets, the insides of their pockets out, there was nothing in there but lint. But the Bible says that they abounded under the riches of their liberality. Now, how is this possible? I mean, is the Word of God contradicting itself? No, not at all. As a matter of fact, the only way that they can have joy while they're in a great trial of affliction is by the grace of God. That God's grace help them during this time. So what is, he, what is God saying through the Apostle Paul to these Christians that I believe God has preserved in his word for us today is, who is it that should be involved in this matter of grace giving? And clearly the answer comes back from the scriptures, every believer should be participating in grace giving. Clearly the word of God helps us understand that no one is too poor to be involved in God's plan of reaching the lost of this world. Remember in the, old, in the New Testament where Jesus was on this earth and they were, he was in the treasury and it was time for the offering. That was a little different than in our day where we pass like a plate as the offering is taken in the services here at our church. Back in those days in the temple, they would have these depositories, these boxes located in the back of the temple. People would come in and Jesus positioned himself back there in the, up against the treasury, in other words, to where he could see, as people came in, what they were putting in. Now, certainly, there were some that had been blessed. They had a lot of resources, money. They would come in, and many of the offerings were coins, and they would drop many coins in. And, of course, some would do it because they wanted everybody to hear all the coins banging when they got inside the offering box. But look what the Bible says in Mark 12. There came a certain, what kind of widow? 
Yeah, she was poor. Now get a hold of this. Here comes this poor widow, and she, notice, threw in two mites, which make a farthing, and he called unto his disciples. Now the he is Jesus, right? He sees that what this poor widow gave. A lot of times we think, well, I don't have much. My little bit really isn't going to make a difference. And Jesus calls his disciples, and look what he says unto them. Verily I say unto you that this poor widow hath cast more in than all they which have cast into the treasury, for they all they did cast in of their abundance. Isn't it easy to give when you have something? Right? But she was poor. And Jesus said, they, there are many that have abundance, but she of her want, she needed what she put in. And the Bible says that Jesus told his disciples, she cast in all that she had. What a sacrifice, even all her living. You know, when I think about that passage and Jesus talking to those disciples, you know what he was trying to get them and us to understand? That both the rich and the poor participated in the offering. Both rich and poor are to give. True generosity is not determined by the amount that we give. It's determined by our hearts. You see, this woman, she sacrificed. She didn't have an abundance. The sacrificial gift that she demonstrated, it demonstrated how much she loved God and she loved the work of God. William Ward said, giving is more than a responsibility. It's a privilege. It's more than an act of obedience. It's the evidence of our faith. You see, when you give, your giving should be a, an act of faith, of sacrificing, of giving to God. And our gift, listen, our gift should reflect our love for God and the work of God. See, the participants are, every believer should be involved in this offering. But then notice in verse number three, I see the power. The Bible says in verse number three, look at it again. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves. Now another word for the word power is the word ability. The word ability. Now, there are three ways that people give to the Lord. I want you to see those in the notes this morning. Look at this. Three ways people give to the Lord. First of all, they give below their power. I think all of us kind of understand this. This is the person that is sad, but it's true that even most Christians give far below their power and far below their ability to give. There are some that give to the Lord below their power, but notice then, as the Bible mentions, there are some that give according to their power. This is the person that sits down with a budget. They sit down with uh, figuring out what their income is. And then what they do is they conclude, okay, here's how much I make. So here's how much I can give. And what they do is they give to God according to their power. They give what they themselves can give to the Lord into this matter of worldwide evangelization. Then notice the third way that people give, and that's what he mentions here in verse 3. Look at it again. I bear record, yea, and beyond. 
these churches in Macedonia, they didn't give below their power. They didn't give according to their power. They gave beyond their power. Now, what is God talking about here? This is the person that makes a commitment to God by faith that doesn't make sense to mankind. I don't understand how I can do that. Lord, uh, you put this figure on my, on my heart to give, and there's no way, humanly speaking, that I can do that. You know what that's called? Trusting God. That's called believing that God will supply. Luke 8, 25, here's what he said to them. Where is your faith? That's the question for all of God's children today. Somebody said faith doesn't make things easy. It makes things possible. Remember, with God, all things are possible, right? And so we see here this matter of going beyond their power. These Macedonian Christians, look, they went beyond their power in a great trial of affliction. They still had joy. You know why? Because they were giving to God. And they were all participating, and they, they realized that it was beyond them, and they gave by faith. And you know what happened? God met that faith. And that's what God will do for you. Notice what Isaiah said in the Old Testament, the Lord shall guide thee continually and shall satisfy thy soul in drought and make fat thy bones and thou shalt be a, like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters fail not. Sometimes people say, well, I just don't understand. That's not possible. Yeah, you're on the right track. Because with God, all things are possible. Look, who were the participants? Every believer. And when the Bible talks about power, listen, God says it was beyond their power. But notice thirdly, I see the purpose of this grace giving, of what God was doing. Look at verse number four. He says, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. Now, the whole reason that God wants us to be a part of faith, promise, giving, and, and helping the gospel to go out is to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ, look, way beyond Pembroke Pines. Last estimate that I probably would guess is right now there's somewhere around 7.5 billion people in this world. Now, we can't wrap our minds around that figure. But when you think about the task that is at hand, the Bible says it this way in Mark 16, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Everyone. God wants everyone to hear of the love of God. And by the way, when he says, Go ye into all the world, that's not a suggestion. That's a command from God. God wants our church, God wants each one of us as Bible-believing Christians to be a part of this matter of giving by faith so that the gospel can go to the regions beyond because everyone needs to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christopher Searcy was playing basketball. You may have heard this story years ago and his friends uh, and him were playing a game of basketball on May 16, 1998. And as they were playing ball, all of a sudden, somebody realized they heard a noise, and Christopher was shot in the chest, and a bullet perforated his aorta. 
his friends helped Christopher to get within 40 feet of the entrance to Ravens Hill, Ravenswood Hospital, and then his friends went inside and they asked the hospital to come out and help their friend who was bleeding profusely. The hospital staff refused to help Christopher, and they said it was against the hospital's policies to administer aid to those outside the hospital. Eventually, a policeman was able to, to go inside. He got a wheelchair, and he wheeled Christopher into the hospital where he was helped by the hospital staff. It was too late, however. Christopher died an hour later. You know, I heard that story, and I thought about that again this week, and here's what I thought. I love church. I love our church. But I'm afraid that too many churches are surrounded by people like Christopher that desperately need to hear the gospel, yet Christians are so content to share it only with those who manage to come inside the church building, and many of them are 40 feet away from the church house, and they've never heard about the love of God. You see, God wants us to be a part of this program of giving so that others can go around the world. And in order for missionaries to go around the world and to preach the gospel, folks, it's going to take an enormous amount of money to do that. And when you and I give, you know what's happening? We are participating in God's purpose for the church. The Bible says in Acts eleven twenty nine. then the disciples, listen, every man gave according to his ability. There's that word again, his power, his ability. The Bible says, and they determined to send relief unto the brethren which dealt, dwelt in Judea. Someday when we get to heaven, and I think it's going to be a wonderful place, and I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to meeting the Lord. But beyond that, listen, I think what's going to make heaven sweet is all the souls that will be there someday because we cared enough to give so that others could go with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, I see the purpose here of why God wants us to be a part of this offering. But notice, fourthly, the prerequisite. Look at verse number five. We're just going verse by verse this morning. Is it okay if we just see what the Bible has to say? Look what it says in verse number five. And this they did. Hey, isn't that a great statement? I mean, they wanted to be a part of it. They wanted, they wanted to get in on what God was doing. And the Bible says, and this they did, not as we hope, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. Now think about this, the prerequisite. See, listen, look at me. Before they gave a dollar amount, before they opened up their wallet and their checkbook and their purse, before they gave one penny, you know what they did? They gave themselves. That's the prerequisite. You see, look, folks, I mentioned in Sunday school this morning, God is interested in you. God wants you. He wants your heart. He wants you to understand what his mind is for this world, uh, until we give of ourselves to the Lord, look, it's important that we understand that our means mean nothing. We have to give of ourselves. There was a nine-year-old boy, true story, from rural Tennessee, and he was at church one Sunday, and he, had, he, he was sitting in the service. He saw the ushers, and they were taking an offering. 
as they were getting closer to his row, he started to look around. He saw people giving. So he started digging around through his pockets. But being a nine-year-old boy, he really didn't have much in his pockets. He looked in his back pockets, his front pockets, and he had nothing that he could put in the offering plates when it came down his row. But his eyes stayed on those offering plates. He, they were glued as he watched those plates that were being passed back and forth, back and forth, until they made it all the way to the back of the sanctuary. Then all of a sudden, this nine-year-old boy, he had an idea. In front of God and everybody else, he got out of his seat. He walked about eight rows back, and he grabbed the usher by the coat. And he asked the usher, and everybody staring at the boy, he asked the usher to hold the plate one more time, and then he did the most astounding thing that anybody's ever seen in that church service. He took the offering plate, and he set it on the floor of that little church. And he stepped into that offering plate. And he stood there, and he lifted up his little hands and his little head, and he said these words, Jesus, I don't have anything to give you today, but just me. I give you me. He understood something that the average adult has yet to get a hold of, and that is God wants us to give ourselves first to the Lord. That's the prerequisite. When we truly give ourselves to the Lord, then God has everything. Look, you understand that as that little boy, if he had money in his pockets, if he got in that offering plate, that everything that was in that pocket that he has, everything is in those offering plates. God has everything that we possess. See, God's not after our money again. What is he after? Us. Look at the Bible says a great verse here, Psalm 37, 5. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. See, the prerequisite for every believer to give ourselves first to the Lord. Notice, fifthly, the persuasion. Because I want you to see, as Paul is trying to, to, to help these believers understand, look what he says in verse number 6, insomuch that we desired Titus that as he had begun, so he also would also finish in you the same grace also. Now, the word grace there is used again. He's talking about that same offering, being a part of that same grace. He was encouraging them to give to something that is eternal. Look at the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4, While we look not at things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal. Folks, they're not going to last forever. You buy a car, it wears out. You buy clothes, they wear out. You buy food, it's gone. But the Bible says the things which are not seen are eternal. When we become a part of God's plan, God's purpose to see people reach with the gospel, you know what we're a part of? We're part of an eternal endeavor. God wants to use churches like ours, and churches need to see what God can do for them and what God can do through them. Years ago, after the war was over, there was an officer. His name was Marquis de Lafayette. He returned to France. When he returned to France, he resumed his life as a farmer, and uh, as he was farming, he had a lot of uh, estates that he was farming, and 
1783, the harvest at that year was a terrible harvest. There were a lot of people that suffered as a result of the harvest. Lafayette's farms, they were somehow unaffected by the devastating crop failures that those around him were affected by. One of his workers came to him and they offered what seemed to be good advice to Lafayette. Here's what he said to him. He said, the bad harvest has raised the price of wheat. He said to Lafayette, it's time to sell. Lafayette stood there for a minute and he began to think about all the hungry peasants in those nearby surrounding villages. Lafayette disagreed with one of his workers and here's what he said to him. He says, no, he says, it's time to give. It's not time to sell, it's time to give. God blesses us not just for our own benefit, but also so that we can be a blessing to others that have needs greater than our own. I can't think of a more worthy cause than to help to get the gospel of Jesus Christ around the world to those that have never heard before. And I see that Paul was trying to persuade them to be a part of that. But notice number six, the proof that I see here in verse number eight. The Bible says, I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others and to prove the sincerity of your love. Now, I want you to understand what he's saying here because Paul was trying to help them understand, and God wants you to get this today because I know over the years I've had discussions with many, and a lot of times I hear people say, all God wants is my money. But that's not the case. When Paul is saying here, not by commandment, he is saying that this offering is voluntary. It's a free will offering. Uh, when you are a part of giving to the work of God, and you make a commitment by faith to give above what the Bible talks about is the tithe, and you help support the cause of Christ to reach the people in the regions beyond, it's a promise that you make to the Lord. Here at our church, we don't ask people to put their name on a commitment so that we can call them and guilt them about whether or not we're, they're giving. Paul's saying it's not by commandment. Uh, certainly every Christian should give the tithe. That is what God uses to support the work of the local church. But here in this chapter, Paul's not speaking about giving to the local church. He's talking about a missions offering. Others have, had given, and what Paul was doing, he was challenging. He says, look, others have been a part of this. He says, and it's time for you to prove the sincerity of your love. In other words, I think if Paul could have said it this way, Paul was saying to them in Corinth, why don't you put your money where your mouth is? I think Paul's heart was maybe something like, hey, someone should do something about it and not just sit around and talk about it. You ever been in one of those situations? Everybody just wants to sit and talk. But I'm glad for those that say, hey, listen, it's time for us to take action. Henry Crowell, he contracted tuberculosis when he was a boy. One day as a boy, he heard Dwight L. Moody preach a message. When he heard Moody preach that day, he prayed this prayer. He said, God, I can't be a preacher but I can be a good businessman. He said, if you will let me make money, I will use it in your service. 
Later, Crowell, I don't know if you recognize the name, he started what is called the Quaker Oats Company. And throughout his life with tuberculosis, he consistently gave 60 to 70% of his income to the work of the Lord. There are others I could testify, J.C. Penney, Colgate, many that have given way beyond to see the work of God go forward. You know why? Because your mission's giving, your giving will prove the sincerity of your love. It's proof. Notice the next thing I see is the passion. Look at verse number 9. The Bible says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor, that ye through His poverty might be rich. How many of you are saved today? How many of you are rich? Same people's hands should be up. I saw a bunch of you did. You put your hands down, didn't you? You didn't see the verse I just read, did you? Some of you are like, Pastor, you haven't seen my bank account. I'm not talking about this earth. I'm talking about riches untold. And look, does it not excite you, but yet convict you? That Jesus was rich, and he became poor, so that you and I, through his poverty, can be made rich. Folks, I can't think of a better deal. I don't think Apple, Microsoft, any of those could do for you for what Jesus did for you. I see the passion that Paul has. Listen, the Bible records the love of Christ constraineth me. Paul loved Jesus. You know why? Because he loved him before he ever loved the Lord Jesus Christ. While we were yet sinners. See, the greatest motivation for giving, you know what it is? Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. I think about what the Bible says. Look at it there and you know it's Philippians chapter 2. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. You think about Jesus, folks. All that Jesus did, and what you and I need to do is we, like that widow, we need to give all that we have for the cause of Christ. The songwriter said, Oh, the love that drew salvation's plan. Oh, the grace that brought it down to man. Oh, the mighty gulf that God did span at Calvary. You see, he got our poverty, but we got his riches. I think about all that the Lord's done for us. Somebody said at least two-thirds of the world's population has never heard the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Two-thirds of 7.5 billion people. And we need to get totally involved in this matter of giving so that these people can hear that God so loved them. John D. Rockefeller said, Think of giving not as a duty, but as a privilege. You see, Paul reminds them through his passion why they need to be a part of this. But then notice, I see nextly the performance. Look what the Bible says in verse number 10. 
Look as he writes here, herein I give my advice. Now, I think if the Apostle Paul was talking to me because he was the Christian that he was, I think I would sit up and take note. And he's about to say, look, here's what I think you should do. And look what he says. For this is expedient for you. That means it's in your best interest. And he says here, expedient for you who have begun before, not only to do, but also to be forward a year ago. Now, therefore, perform the doing of it, that as there was a readiness to will, so there may be a performance out of that which ye have. You ever promised something? You ever made a commitment and then reneged on it? Started to say, hey, I'll do that, I'll give that, I'll be a part of that, and something happens? You know, I, I, have, uh, I have a guitar. I don't know how to play it. Somewhere in the past, I decided I like guitars, and I'd like to learn how to play it. I went to the store, I bought this guitar, a nice acoustical guitar. I had every intention in the world. I signed up for lessons. I took two lessons. It was time for the third lesson of six. We had bought a piece of property to build a house. Back in 1990, something like that. And it was time to start building our house. It was a good cause. I needed to get the house built. The guitar, the guitar sat there. Lesson three never happened. Lesson four, five, and six never happened. I've carried that guitar from Missouri to Tennessee to Maryland to Missouri, to California, to Florida, and I still can't play it. <laughs> and you know what Paul is saying to the Corinthian believers? He said, you, you remember that promise you made a year ago? Remember that commitment that you made to God a year ago? He says, listen, it's time that you perform. You actually do what you said you were going to do. There's a lot of people that used to, that has promised God. And God's using Paul to stir up the hearts of those in Corinth and in our hearts today, that it's time we get serious about this matter of the gospel and the lost. And here's what I see is when I... Think about their performance. The Bible says in Proverbs 19, He that hath pity upon the poor, notice these words, lendeth unto the Lord. And that which he hath given, will he pay him again? Folks, anytime you give to the cause of Christ, I, I can't, listen, any penny I've ever given to the Lord, it's never been wasted. One of the verses I love in the Bible, I can't explain it, I just know it's true. The Bible says in the Old Testament, cast thy bread upon the water. Most time we think if I throw my money on the water, it's going to go downstream. I'll never see it again. Somehow God has a way of 
bringing it back around. God uses that to help others. And Paul was reminding the church in Corinth about this promise that they made. Listen, an entire year before this time he wrote this and how they should keep that promise. It's kind of like the third grade boy. He asked his teacher one day, he says, if there were 10 frogs sitting on a log and nine of them decided to jump, how many frogs would be left? The teacher, being an educated person, looked at this little third grade boy and said, well, he said, uh, only one frog would be left. And the little boy started laughing. And he says, no, you'd still have 10 frogs. He says, because the nine just decided to jump. There's still 10 frogs sitting on that log. And there's a lot of Christians who have decided, but they're not participating. They're not performing that which God is, a lot of people have good intentions. A lot of people decide to do things, but they never do them. Aren't you glad that God has performed what he said he would do? William Carey said the future is as bright as the promises of God. You know why? Because God keeps his promise. God doesn't renege on anything that he said he would do for us. And faith promise commitments are between us and the Lord. And they should be something that is based on prayer and the word of God. And they should not be based on emotion. This is something over the next week or two as we enter into our missions conference. If God lays something on your heart to be a part of giving to worldwide missions, listen, it shouldn't be something that you make emotionally It's something that you should pray about, that you should ask God. You should search the scriptures and do what God has placed on your heart. Paul was reminding the church to give that which they had promised. And then lastly, look at this. I see the proportionate. Go to verse number 12 as we close this morning. Look what it says in verse number 12. And if there first, notice a willing mind. It is accepted according to that a man hath, and not according to that he hath not. For I mean not that other men be eased, and ye be burdened. Verse 14, look at it. But by a what? Equality. That now, at this time, your abundance may be a supply for their want, that their abundance also may be a supply for your want, that there may be, and what's the word again? An equality. Now I want you to get this because Paul is speaking about an equality in giving. See, all cannot give an equal amount, but all can make an equal sacrifice. Many have sacrificed far beyond that 10% known as the tithe. I mentioned earlier some other individuals, J.L. Kraft, he's the owner of the Kraft Cheese Corporation. J.L. Kraft said, the only investment I ever made which has paid consistently increasing dividends is the money that I have given to the Lord. I read about others, in the, especially a missionary by the name of Jim Elliott, one of the great missionaries of days gone by. He said he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Folks, giving to the work of the Lord is a worthy investment. 
Too many approach giving by asking questions like, well, how much money should I give to the work of the Lord? I think a better way to approach it should be this. How much of God's money should I keep for myself? After all, all of it belongs to Him. Every last penny. James said, every good gift, every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights. Everything we have comes from the Lord. You know what we are? We're just stewards. We're managers. We're going to give an account one day to the Lord of what we have done with that which He has placed into our hands. Does not the Bible say in Luke eleven forty eight, 48, For unto whomsoever much is given of him shall be much required. To whom much men have committed much of him shall they ask the more. Folks, listen, millions in the world have never heard the gospel of Christ. Your sacrificial grace giving, you know what it will do? Just like Paul was reminding them, it will provoke others to be a part of this grace giving. Look what it says in 2 Corinthians 9, 2. For I know the forwardness of your mind, for which I boast of you to them in Macedonia, that Achaia was ready a year ago, and your zeal, listen to this, your zeal, your passion to see souls saved, he says, has provoked very many. We need to put our faith in God, and we need to prove our giving. It will provoke others. Two little girls, they were sitting one day, and they were counting their pennies. One of the little girls, she said, I have five pennies. The other little girl said, I have ten. And the other girl says, no, you have five pennies just like I do. The second girl says, well, my father said that when he came home tonight that he was going to give me five cents more, so I have ten. You see, when you look at that situation, here's what I see is that one girl had faith that her father had already promised that he was going to give her five cents when he got home. And can I tell you that when we step out by faith and we give to the work of God, God will meet that faith and God will use us so that people in various parts of this world that have never heard the message you've been privileged to hear on a weekly basis, that they too can have a home in heaven someday. Would you be a part of proving your sincerity, the sincerity of your love to God? Would you bow your heads with me this morning? With our heads bowed, God's proved His love. You know how He did that? By sending His own Son, Jesus came. And it's time for us to prove the sincerity of our love to Him. Well, how do we do that? By our giving. This message isn't about your money. If it is, you've missed the most important point. Because remember what the Bible says, they first gave of themselves. You see, until you give yourself to the Lord, your giving will mean nothing. But once you give yourself to the Lord... It's easy to give to the cause of Christ. I wonder in your heart this morning as you're sitting here with your heads bowed, no one's looking around this morning, do you know for sure that Christ is your Savior? Have you had a time in your life that you put your faith 
in the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who gave himself so that you can have eternal life. I mean, we're talking today about reaching people around the world and we would be remiss if we didn't reach those right here where we are today. You see, there are people everywhere that don't know the Lord. If you're here today and you're not saved, the Bible says again, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's a promise from God. If you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior, why don't you open your heart today and receive the gift of God, which is eternal life. If you're here this morning and you've never done that, I'm going to have a word of prayer in just a minute, but I'd like to know who I'm praying for. If you do, do me the privilege of just slipping your hand up and say, Pastor, I'm not sure. Pray for me in just a minute that I would know for sure that heaven would be my home. Just slip your hand up this morning if you're not saved. No one will come to you, but I just want to pray for you in just a minute. Slip your hand up and you can put it right back down. I'm not sure that I'm saved. If you're here and you are saved, are you glad for what Jesus did for you? How many of you by an upraised hand say, I know Christ is my Savior because I've trusted in Jesus. Would you put your hand up this morning? Thank you. Put your hands down. Lord, bless this invitation. Lord, such an important matter that we need to consider, this matter of grace, the grace of God that was extended to us. And it's this grace giving, Lord, that we need to be a part of so that others would be in heaven someday as a result of our giving. Lord, I pray that you bless our church this year, Lord, as we have this conference that in this coming year that we would be able to do more than we've ever done before. Bless the invitation now in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.